Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. As always, I'm your host, Paul Thompson, and I dare you not to be inspired by this week's guest, Kansas City Public Schools Superintendent, Dr. Mark Bedell. Bedell speaks with the kind of passion that will make you want to run through a brick wall for him. Whether he's talking about his long-term vision for the district, the difficulty of modern standardized testing, the district's trials and tribulations as it works to raise its accreditation status, his refreshing reaction to recent student-led protests surrounding the issue of gun control, or the important role that athletics play in building a well-rounded student. Any way you slice it, Bedell is smart, confident, and capable, which you're about to find out for yourself when you listen to this interview. Here is my conversation with Kansas City Public Schools Superintendent, Dr. Mark Bedell. Thank you for listening. So, Paul Thompson sitting here at Kansas City Public Schools Board of Education, right alongside Superintendent Dr. Mark Bedell and Natalie Allen. Thank you very much for joining. I came in and you guys were talking about accreditation status. It was a a very lively discussion. uh, And you're talking about where you are, where you want to be, how confident you are, and how optimistic you are at where you stand on this day. I'm very optimistic. I feel like uh, the work that we did last year, I often refer to it as uh, tilling the soil, (laughs) uh, coming in and bringing a new set of eyes to uh, some of the things that we've been dealing with, you know, respecting the fact that the school district has been making continuous progress, um, but understanding that moving up one or two percentage points won't necessarily get us to that full accreditation phase that right. where everybody wants us to be and mm-hmm. so we came in and we really focused on curriculum we we developed a new curriculum last year which is really in this beta year I tell people anytime you write something or you implement something new there's a beta year where you kind of got to just go and and learn and implement and make sure that it that it, it makes sense it's aligned to state standards um we also then said, let's make sure that we properly train our teachers, make sure that the professional development makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted the PD to be aligned to our strategic plan. Our five-year strategic plan was adopted that really guides us and serves as our blueprint for transformational change that we want to have here in the Kansas City Public School District. So we're very pleased that that progress that we're making in there is going uh, very well. And then hiring some just some solid people to come in here to get on board with helping us, but to be fully committed to our school district. Uh, We know that that has also been a a major area of of concern for people in this city is the amount of turnover that happens in particular at these key executive level positions, whether it's the superintendent or some of the superintendent's cabinet members. So the people that, that we have in here, and it's eight of us total, you know, we all made a commitment that we will be here at a minimum of four years, right? Everybody that I hire, I say, you got to see, you got to be here to see a class through. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that we're going to be able to have some type of impact on uh, student academic outcomes, those social and emotional. um, And oftentimes it takes even longer than that. You you mentioned kids in kindergarten and and, and the issues that you're facing with attendance right there, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, Transformational, I tell people there's a difference between transformation and reform. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people oftentimes don't understand the difference between the two. Reform is let's let's try let's try to do this new way or this new initiative. It's almost like you apply a band-aid a band-aid to a to a to a cut. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately 
you know, that, that can be opened up again. You know, you can recut, you can cut it again. Mm-hmm. Transformation means that you are significantly going to change the way that you conduct business. You're going to change business, conduct business in a way where you don't even put yourself in a position where you can get cut, mm-hmm. right? And what we want to do, what, what we're trying to do is transform the way that our kids interface with their environments, right? So addressing the social and emotional deficits that some of our kids show up with, which become impediments to them achieving academically. And you have to start with the babies. You have to start with the little ones and you have to grow them up. That's the only way that you're going to have transformation because oftentimes um, when we start and a lot of initiatives that fail, you start at the high school level mm-hmm. and but the prerequisite skills that they need to be successful with this transformation have been missed. Right. And so you, you don't you don't neglect what needs to be done for your high schoolers and your and your middle schoolers or any but you want to put if you got additional resources it's got to go into transformation at that elementary level. So when those kids become middle schoolers, they're much stronger, they're much healthier, um, they can thrive at a much higher level. And then you begin to see, as they get into high school, the increase in ACT scores, you know, grad rates, more right. kids taking the more rigorous classes. But they need a that much, baseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we can kind of speak to transformation um, at the adult level too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've seen a lot of mindset shift um, in the school district since Dr. Vidal's been here. There's been a lot of buy-in in the community. Um, it, it really feels like a new place. It feels like a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that at least what I'm seeing is everyone in the central office and then you know principals and teachers are really... Um, sharing in this growth mindset and it's just a really kind of beautiful thing to see and watch um and there's some startling is. information out there as it relates to reading levels and, and being on grade level when you're in kindergarten first grade because if you fall one two grade levels behind at that point essentially it's a monumental task it's, it's a detrimental monumental for task. a lot of kids it's, it's detrimental right? and um that's part of the reason why we said we would really focus on our k through two mm-hmm literacy initiative and we've taken a whole different approach to that this year making sure that all of our teachers receive the training and um we're hoping that as these kids then move into third grade when they take that that first round of map assessments next year we're we're going to see um some strong results what's what can you maybe be a little more specific about what these kids are going through at that level in order to to learn those skills well, I think it's a, a lot of it is really focusing on um, basic literacy skills, making sure that kids understand, you know, their pronunciations, making sure that they understand structural analysis. And I know that's kind of a big word, but understanding that there's always a base word, there's a prefix, there's a suffix to it. Mm-hmm. So teaching them how to break those things down, teaching them you know, how to have some stamina mm-hmm. um, as they read, because one of the things you will find when you take this new assessment is that the kids are having to read across different genres, different various uh, literature uh, choices, and then they're having to come together. And it's not about this apply or, you know, recall type questions. It's more about analyzing and synthesizing. So right. you're requiring you now to take three different types of texts and then get in here and, and dig between those three to figure out 
what are the best answer choices. And in right. some cases, it may require that there are two answer choices. And they will say, choose the there are, there are two or three. Which two or three would apply to this mm-hmm. question? And so it requires kids to have stamina. It requires kids to be able to thoroughly understand comprehension, um, understand what the when you read those question stems, right? What are the verbs mm-hmm. basically telling you you need to do, and how do you identify the appropriate verb uh, in order to then begin to, to dissect how you need to answer that question? And it's a lot. It's a lot more rigorous than what we had to do. When we were students. Mental calisthenics, almost like an LSAT test or something. Uh, Yes, yes. Like a law student might take. Absolutely. Um, And the same is true in math, actually, too. So that's one of the things that we're seeing is it's not just a math problem. You're talking about a long word problem. And so students are having to use those reading skills to um, figure out what, what math task they're supposed to do as well so it's across the board in the testing area and we we simply believe that if we can get the reading and the arithmetic piece in order it better prepares them to be successful with social studies and science Mm -hmm. right because i mean do you do the critical thinking you you're absolutely right absolutely right so yeah so i mean it it is it's 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 definitely a, a task it's not easy. I, I tell people that all the time. I, you know, even as my days as a teacher, um, and then when you're having to not only understand that if you're a fifth grade teacher, you got to teach fifth grade standards. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, not every kid in your class is on a fifth grade standard level. Right. Right. So you might have maybe at that fifth grade level, maybe thirty five percent of your kids may be at a fifth grade standard level. You might have another. 8 to 10% that's at a 6th grade level or higher. Mm-hmm. And then you might have kids who are one or two state nines below that mm-hmm. that kind of consists of the, of the rest. And so as a teacher, you're charged with having to navigate through your curriculum because, you know, that's part of the kids got to be prepared. But then there's a lot of scaffolding and reteaching that also needs to take place. And you got to be able to build that in there. Uh, through the various types of tier level supports, mm-hmm. especially for the schools where they may be in a situation where 70% of our kids can't read well, at this juncture. Without losing or boring the kids who without, are at grade that, level that, or That's above. correct. That's yeah, correct. That's it's issue. a delicate balance, man. And yeah. I think, um, you know, that's something that we also have to just remember, especially when you get in the kind of position that I'm in where, you know, I taught a long time ago, you know, and, and I don't ever, you know, I don't want to lose that perspective and so I have to respect that it was difficult back then, but it's even more difficult for our teachers now than it was when I was a teacher. Right. And I got to make sure that we're making the right decisions to give them the support so that they can be equipped with the tools that they need to properly prepare our kids. Well, I can say for sure if I was taking that math test, I would be exposed as a fraud on, on, on that section. Um, I know you said you've had a chance to, to take it as well. Uh, when you're taking the test, where, was there a particular subject matter where, where you said, wow, this is really difficult and I might be struggling with this well, too? Well, yeah, absolutely. I will tell you um, all of it was hard, right? <laughs> I, got, I, I mean, I wrote a dissertation, man. Yeah. I, I've done, I've done high-level statistics, mm-hmm. right? I ran my own data, you know, but you can run it through SPSS. Mm-hmm. So you have a software, but you still have to be able to interpret the data and you have to be able to understand how to speak to that data as a result of writing your chapter five and findings. Mm-hmm. And so I have done high level work and I've done advanced statistics, but I can tell you 
I remember when I took the assessment and I took the park assessment a couple of years ago, which was Common Core. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it opened up my eyes. Like I, you know, I had to go back and really refresh right. on my math because if you don't, it's kind of like Spanish. If you don't you practice it, you kind of lose it. Right. And then refreshing on it then required that I was able to then to go to my principals and say, listen, I, I really got some news for you all. You know, I, I, I took this assessment. I took the assessment that these ninth graders are going to take. Mm-hmm. And let me kind of share with you some of the areas that I found very difficult, right, that I that I just want us to be aware of. And I took advanced mathematics in college. You know, I did all of that. Right. But what this stuff is asking our kids to do is a lot different than even what I did in college, just around the fact that there's a whole bunch of reading that they have to do. And they so it's a process problem solving, you know, system that these kids are, are kind of have to encounter and then they're also in some cases timed mm-hmm. in order to get it done because you only I know with park it was a timed assessment right and so there's some stamina things that we have to make sure that we're focusing on that we're keeping our kids focused that we're giving them more practice right that's part of the reason why I came in here and said every single kid is going to take will take the pre-ACT right every single kid 9 10 and 11 mm-hmm. and they're going to take it every year and by the time they get to their senior, their junior year, when they got to take the real test, they would have taken it three times before they take the live test. So the anxiety goes down. Mm-hmm. There's some familiarity. And, like, I can tell you personally with my daughter, she took the test, and she took it as a freshman. Um, she jumped up four points from her freshman year to her sophomore year on the ACT, mm-hmm. right, which is already high enough for her to get into some schools, mm-hmm. but not high enough for her to get scholarships. Right. She still has two more attempts, mm-hmm. and really three more attempts because you can still take it in your senior year. Right. And so we then can take that data and we can say, here's the areas that we're struggling as a school system. How do we help our kids increase by one or two percentage points on that ACT? Right. And then ultimately... The more repetition that they get in that area, the more comfortable that they become. They build the stamina up. And a lot of it is just a lack of stamina right. for a lot of our kids you with throw this your kind arms of stuff. Up in the air, right? Well you well, you get frustrated. Yeah. She she took it and she came home and went to bed. Mm-hmm. I mean the first time she took it, so mm-hmm. she she was like, Wow, it was just it was just really hard. Mm-hmm. This year she took it and it was kinda like, Okay, I felt a little bit more comfortable right. about it. Right? And next year It'll be even easier because she's taken, as she progresses through the school system, she's taken more rigorous classes. Remember, as a ninth grader, some of the things that you take on ACT, you haven't been taught yet. Right. On the pre-ACT. Mm-hmm. And so, ultimately, once you get through Algebra 2 and English 2, generally, that's kind of where that test kind of maxes out, right? They may have some pre-calculus and calculus questions up there, but not many. But a lot of it is based on your proficiency, your ability to be proficient, Algebra 2, English 2, in those areas, and to be able to think critically um, as you take that assessment. And you're kind of coming up on on the gun with that one, and I know one of the issues that we talked about before we started here, and I won't um, belabor the point too much, but the attendance issue, right? Or we've got, or really the fact that you haven't been in school, even even more so than that, right? That yes. all the snow days, and you're trying to make up that time. I, I know that you kind of put forth a proposal whereby maybe you could extend the day. It, can I you did talk about where that stands. Yeah, so I did, um, and I didn't get the answer that I wanted. I went to Jefferson City to speak with uh, our um, interim commissioner, 
mm-hmm. uh, Roger Dorson, and I said to him, you know, we have 28 hours that we need to make up. And I said, um, I'm coming to you to ask you for some permission here because I don't know whether it's permissible or not, but I'd like to make those 28 hours up before our kids go into this assessment, period. And what he said was, um, our state statute won't allow for us to do that. Uh, Part of the reason why it won't allow is because we have to be in school a certain number of days in addition to a certain number of hours. Most states will say you you have your calendar and you have your calendar already built out on the amount of days that students need to be in school. Mm -hmm. But it's based on seat hours, right? Most state statute says it's based on seat hours. So what I wanted to do was to probably add on about 40 minutes a day since we already have our teachers and the students are already there. Mm-hmm. Those 40 minutes then could be used for, you know, whatever we need to do to help better prepare our kids to be successful on these uh, state assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would include reteaching, really taking a strong look at our data when we have our, da- our data consoles, and then making sure that we're giving our kids what they need. We can't do it. And so we have to make up those days, and of course those days then require that we have to be in school after Memorial Day. Well, being in school at the Memorial Day doesn't serve my district well at all. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason is because some families have already planned vacation time, right? Uh, assessments are already over. Seniors have already graduated. Mm-hmm. It's warm weather. And some of these Everybody's kids are going crazy. to feel that, you know, really coming to school, if I'm already having attendance issues now, mm-hmm. right, I, I can one can imagine what the attendance rates are going to look like after Memorial Day. Right. So, the, the in, in the short, no, we can't do it. But that's something that I'll have to then advocate for change from our legislative agenda uh, on next year. But the thing that really burned me up was uh, probably about three or four days later, maybe it was last week, it was sometime last week, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to come to work, and Channel 41 shows KCK, Kansas City, Kansas, and they have their schedule on how they're going to make up their days. And what I requested is exactly what they're doing because the state of Kansas basically sets it based on seat hours. Right. So I'm sitting here saying we share the same city, and they're gonna their kids are going to get the benefit of getting those instructional minutes in before you know the state assessment. And also not put anybody in any compromising position right. with, for, as far as families are concerned or even your teachers that are, may have already planned vacation. So, I yeah. thought education in Kansas was supposed to be a mess. Well, we, we, have, we, we have state statutes that I think we just have to continue to work with our people on and advocating on behalf of our school systems that we need to change. And I think when legislators hear what I'm talking about and probably other superintendents feel the same way, I, I really do believe that this won't be too difficult for us to change. And you got to keep in mind, weather was one part of the, of the attendance issue. The flu was another. Mm-hmm. The flu has not only hurt us, it's hurt a lot of our peer school districts out there. Right. And Throughout so, Missouri. Huh? Throughout Missouri. Throughout Missouri. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, I'm very concerned about that. And then we have our typical community problems with attendance rates, right? Just the ability to get our kids to school every day and get them in there on time because it's one thing you can come to school every day but if you miss a first period every day you basically get a zero for the day as far as 9090 is concerned mm-hmm. right and 9090 is how we get our APR that's 90% of school you're in school 
90% of the time of the school year, and you're in class 90% of the time. APR, any annual performance review? Yeah. A report? Report. Gotcha. It's been a while, but I've, I've covered education for a few years in the, in the early 2010s. Um, so <laughs> I appreciate the thoughts there. I got some other stuff I wanted to ask you about, so maybe I know you've got a little bit of a timeline here, so I'll try to go rapid fire okay. through some of them. Uh, you're coming up on two years now, right, with yes. the district here. It must feel like much less, right, because you're having so much fun? Well, I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm aging in dog years. I think every superintendent in this country would tell you that. Mm-hmm. Like it is a, it's a tough job. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and and tell people um, that that it's that everything is rosy because mm-hmm. being in this position. And I was talking to a superintendent yesterday who gave me some phenomenal advice, and he's a state superintendent of the year. He said, you know, there are days where. There are days where you start thinking, you know, when you were a principal, you kind of were in your own little world, right? Mm-hmm. And most of the time, your people love you within mm-hmm. that community, especially if you're an effective principal. But when you become superintendent, oftentimes you hear a lot around everything that you're not doing that's right, mm-hmm. right? Every every dart that's being thrown at you, and it, some days, you know, it it, it it makes you it makes you uh, question how. Uh, you know, it makes you question, man, did, you know, did I sign up to take these bullets all the time? And so we talked about it. And one of the things he, he we, we came down to was this, and it was simple. What, when you wake up every day, what are you most excited for as far as being a superintendent? And we talked about this yesterday. And I said, for me, I want so much more for these kids. I want to do what nobody thinks can be done here. And I think sometimes I get frustrated because I don't feel that everybody else has that same type of motivation, right? Mm-hmm. People are, in some cases, just hopeless and have heard this story over and over and over. But like I told them, it's legit for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I legitimately want to see these kids do great. I want to be here long enough, right, that that, that what we've done, I can actually see some of it come to fruition, I want to hand my two high schoolers their high school diploma. Mm-hmm. I got a kid in elementary school, and we have to see what happens there. I mean, if I can be here long enough to see my two high schoolers off that stage at UMKC, that's an eternity, mm-hmm. especially for an urban school superintendent. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and for me, I, I'll say this to the community, I'm very fortunate right now. I was just telling Natalie here about one of my peers in another district that's just kind of going through a lot of just tough times right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, I actually have a very, very supportive board. I'll tell you how supportive my board is. They care so much about me and the team that we have that they looked at me the last couple of weeks and they said, you look tired. No, I'm, I'm serious. Listen to this. And you, who, who, who has a board that does this kind of stuff? <laughs> at least five out of the nine at some point said to me, when are you going to take a mental health rest day? Mm-hmm. Like just in one said, and don't take the day because you got to travel because you're going to a conference. Right. right. You We cannot do the work that needs to be done if our leader is burned out and not thinking at a high level. Running on fumes. Exactly. Because the job will consume you. And I'm one of those type of people where I put my life into this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm everywhere in this city. I'm out on Saturdays. I'm, you know, 
And so, but I have a board that's supportive and they, they want me to do well. It's not like they're standing by and saying, show us what you can do. And I said that from day one. So I'm very fortunate on that front. When people ask me, you know, about how is the board working with you, I can say I'm very fortunate. Now, we got elections coming up next year. We have to see what happens with that. I mean, but right now, there's no other board that I would want to work for in this country right now. And that's just and that's just being honest with you. Yeah, that's cool. I also wanted to ask you about um, some of the protests recently, the school walkouts, gun violence, mm-hmm. uh, some of the stuff that's been going on. A, a lot. It's, it's a powerful movement that obviously has um, a lot of energy behind it right now. What do you think your role is? In, in that process, and, and what do you think the district's role, yeah, from well, administrators on down to teachers well, absolutely. Is? My role is simple. Give our kids voice, but teach them how to use that voice appropriately. I don't ever believe in telling kids that you can't express your freedom of speech, right? you, but it's a way you do it. So one student came to me um, at Lincoln and said, hey, I want to tell you what we're getting ready to do. Um, we're going to walk out and we're going to march down to City Hall and we're gonna, I say, well, listen, here's the only thing I will tell you. Do not make a mockery of what happened. Mm-hmm. Do not do this and treat it as a joke. If you're going to go out here and do it, you represent this district. You represent this movement the appropriate way. And all of our kids did a phenomenal job with that. Our kids at Southeast um, had the mayor there and some other elected officials to participate. The mayor did his... Um, his state of the city speech the other day, I saw four of my kids were recognized in there for their 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 role in organizing how we would get out and, and participate in, in that movement. On another note... Did that make um, you proud? I was very proud. Very proud. Absolutely. Made me very proud. And I will tell you, uh, because I sit on the board of the National Association of School Resource Officers, so every school shooting that happens... Whether somebody gets shot or whether a gun goes off, we get a report. And um, we've had 19. It was 18 prior to this one instructor having the gun go off uh, a Te- couple of weeks teaching ago. Teaching gun safety? Yeah, yes. But, but yeah. you know, when a gun goes off, that's reported as a shooting, believe it or not. It's not about people getting shot and getting hurt. But um, my role on that board is to take a position that that we when we talk about arming teachers that's just that's just a big problem for me that's a big problem for me um, because they already have a much they have a very difficult job as I stated to you earlier and now having to in essence become law enforcement when that's not you know that's not your formal training in my opinion if you can afford SROs like we do then our job then is to make sure that our SROs get the full training so that they can carry a concealed weapon, right? Because some districts can't afford that. And so that's where I think they have to sit down with their community, their board, and they have to have some dialogue on what's the best course of action. If you're a teacher and you got 35 kids in a class or, or, or 30 kids in a class, but you're responsible that if some active shooter drill takes place on your campus and then you have to leave your kids who's covering those kids Mm -hmm. and you can't put 60 kids with one teacher it's just not feasible so um 
And it's a lot different too, right? Out here when it's active, we went through simulations of, do, 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 we went through the same training that our SROs went through. Mm-hmm. Our whole cabinet did. And I can tell you personally, I saw somebody turn around with a cell phone, thought, it, I mean, I'm, I'm shooting. And, it, and, I'm, and, and so being in that actually live, it's a huge difference. And so you don't. I just don't want our teachers being put in that kind of position. I don't. Right. I don't. That's my position on it. That's the National Association of School Resource Officers' position on it, and that's the largest school policing agency in the country organization. And so that's kind of my position on that one. No, that's a good answer. And I think if you're a teacher, there's a mental toll to carrying around a gun with you every day when you're not really trained for it or not comfortable with it. Or so, not comfortable with yeah. it. Um, so you're a big proponent of athletics in schools. Why? Because I view extracurricular activities uh, second to none when it comes to academics. I think they both complement each other. Um, most of our kids that participate in athletics generally uh, have a much higher GPA than those who don't collectively. Uh, it teaches them how to... Uh, be more social, you know, in terms of social activists, being able to being able to interact socially, uh, because it teaches you about leadership. It teaches you about collaboration. It teaches you about failure, because in sports, it's very rare that somebody's going to have undefeated teams. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even happen in the pros, right? You rarely get teams that 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 go undefeated. That's just very rare. So there's a there's a learning aspect in failure that athletes athletics teach you and I think that transforms over to performance academically understanding that you don't know everything and that if you have to submit a writing to your teacher that there's going to be feedback right but there's a process uh, that you have to then undertake just like how you have to practice to get better to shoot hoops Mm -hmm. you then have to practice your writing understand your literary elements and all of those types of things and and be able to get better with your craft in that area. And what sports does, it kind of holds you accountable to doing that too because it requires that you have to have a minimum GPA. Uh, you have to have acceptable behaviors. Um, and and I, like I said, I think it also meets some of the emotional needs of kids, right, because we emotionally want to be connected to something. And emotionally, uh, being a part of extracurriculars in sports gives you a connection to your school or your environment. Uh, so it's very important for me uh, that we really try to grow out what we're doing from an extracurricular standpoint, uh, giving our kids the finest of amenities, because uh, we know that with these new fields and the things that we have now, we've seen a huge increase in the number of kids who are participating in athletics. And this year, Central alone started a ban. Um, they have uh, a drill team that that I think that's what they're called, mm-hmm. um, and then they just started their girls soccer team. Right now they got destroyed, but they have one nevertheless. They got destroyed in their first matchup, but the girls had a good time, and it's a great opportunity to keep our kids and things that are very positive and uh, and proactive. And cool. that includes robotics, chess, debate, mm-hmm. those kinds of things too. Our debate uh, program is taking off. It is. Right. And we have these chess players at Wendell Phillips Elementary School. Um, they they ranked first in the region in their chess competition. They did such a good job, and most of the students on that chess team ranked in some kind of way, which was really exciting. And we also have great robotics programs at we do. Banneker Elementary School, our manual um 
kiddos, they, they do great work. And so, you know, you're teaching students teamwork like Dr. Riddell was talking about, but also these very, you know, applicable life skills as well. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank oh, you very I will much. tell you, closing out, um, and, I, I'm, and I say this to people um, all the time, we're going to be relentless in the pursuit of excellence and equity for our kids. Our board is working on an equity policy right now. We're, we're talking through what that looks like, um, where we don't allow for the permanence of racism or gender inequities and those type of things to get in the way of our kids getting what they deserve. And, um, and I think in a min- as an administration and as a board, we are fully committed to that. I think we're tired of being tired. Right? We're tired of the race card impeding what we need to do here in the school district. Everybody automatically just writes the school district off, and we know it was race that really contributed to this district being where it is now, you know, from a 70,000 student school system to now barely over 14,000. And so we are, we are fully committed to serving the kids that we have in this school district, serving them at a high level, and doing our part to help the community understand that they got to be held accountable to help us, right? We need the community to help us. This attendance thing, is a, is, it's, it's, it's not good at all. And But the community can do something about it, right? Because it's much more powerful when a school administrator and, and a community member that's very active within the community go and knock on the door and sit on the couch and talk to a parent and tell this parent, we have your back. Right. We, 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 we're not going to allow for this child to fail. We want to break this cycle. And, you, you know, it's powerful when you sit there and these people are crying because some of them actually are looking for help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just don't do that enough as a community. Go and just take the village approach. Let's knock on doors. Let's spend a few minutes sitting on people's couches and let's have a real conversation with them about what we have to do together if we want to move this, this city. And that's what's going to happen, man. You cannot turn the school district around like where we are if you do not have the community mobilized. I'm telling you that. I know it. I've done it. But the only reason why I've done it and and did it successfully was because I had full buy-in by the communities that I served in other areas that I've worked. Wow. Well, let that be a call to arms for those in the community who are listening. I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you for taking it today, and and have a good one. Thank you. Appreciate it, Paul. So there you have it, folks, my conversation with Kansas City Public Schools Superintendent, Dr. Mark Bedell. I'd like to thank Kansas City Public Schools and Bedell for taking time to speak with us and to the constituents of the historic Northeast. As you can probably tell, I had a blast talking to Bedell, and I always do. He's about as real an individual as you're ever going to find in a major leadership position. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, and we hope you continue to listen to future episodes of Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. Until next time, this is Paul Thompson, signing out.